able to wake up in the morning and go to bed at night and somehow have some kind of belief that God is pleased with us and that when this is all over, we'll have done the best we could and that we'll have a hope. And that's important. So I'm glad you're here this morning. I would like to reiterate part of our prayer. Um, Brother Jim Sneed is a, a good brother. He's been in, in, in the church quite a long time in Montana with his wife. And um, he had a serious accident over the last couple of days. <clears throat> He's in the hospital, I understand, in Missoula. And uh, very, very serious injury. And uh, so when you think of it today, just be in prayer for him and his, his family and the congregation there. We serve a mighty God. It's for these times that we serve God. It's not just the, the mountains, but also the valleys. And he's the God of the valleys as well as the God of the mountains. Amen. I would like you to prepare for our revival meeting, which begins this Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, another service will be Friday at 7, Saturday at 6, Sunday at 10.30 next weekend. Uh, there'll be no evening service, but we will share a meal after the Sunday morning service. So we would like you to sign up. Uh, Sign-up sheets are in the lobby for food and workers and folks to help set up and take down. Don't presume that somebody else's strong back or wise cooking is going to take it, make it happen. Uh, be willing to be used, and uh, we'll be thankful for that. Help us that way. Um, our evangelist is uh, scheduled to be Daryl Sanford from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Uh, he and his wife are scheduled to be here this week. Um, if you would like <coughs> to take them to dinner and the two people in whose home they are staying, then you can see my wife. And um, we, we evidently <coughs> have openings for Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So <coughs> um, if, if there's more than we get for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, my wife has dedicated herself to resolve those conflicts. I'm not involved. All right. Well, pray for our revival. If you, um, if you can um, fast at all in prayer for the meeting before then, that would be good. We'd like to be ready to be here. Amen? Is that all right? Thursday night, each night, uh, make plans on being here, please. Okay. If you're able, let's stand and we'll turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Amen. Matthew chapter 13. First verse. We're going to refer to some different scriptures in this chapter this morning. It's a chapter on teaching. Uh, Jesus is teaching on the kingdom, and he's using parables. <clears throat> and we're going to make reference to a little bit of his teaching this morning. Matthew 13 and verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And multitudes, great multitudes, were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship, sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. 
And he spake unto them in parables. And he spake different parables that we'll make reference to, but the title of our message is contained in the first verse. The same day Jesus went out of the house and he went down by the seaside. <clears throat> I think he might have been near Capernaum. I don't know, but in my mind's eye, I think maybe he was on the north part of the lake there. And as you look out from that part of the lake on the shore, you can't see the other side. It's a very long lake, the Sea of Galilee. You can see off to the left um, the place where he would later meet the man who was possessed of the legion of devils and bound in, in the tombs. You can see that part of the sea. And off to the right, you can see the town that <clears throat> Mary came from, uh, Magdala, Mary Magdalene. She came from a town called Magdala. You can see that over there. But it's a beautiful lake in the morning, and if the sun rises uh, in a certain part of the lake or it's clear, um, it's very peaceful and the waters are calm. And this fishing village, Capernaum, uh, Jesus spent time there. It was where Peter was from. And many of the um, followers that he gathered from that part of the shore. And you can go down by the lake and sit and just feel a sense of peace. And Jesus was there. And the word went out to this village <clears throat> that Jesus was down by the seaside. It's not far. It's maybe a couple hundred, hundred meters from the village down to the shore of the sea. And the word went out that Jesus was teaching that morning down by the seaside. And so that's the title of our thought, Down by the Seaside, because there are different groups of people that were in the village just like today. And I wonder which group we're in. And we might think, well, then, I know which group I'm in. I would be the one that would be going down to hear him teach. Well, I hope we all could say that. And the thing is, there's also a sentiment in the world today that even creeps in among that sentiment that says, well, not right now. And so we want to talk about the groups of people that would have heard the call that Jesus was down by the seaside teaching. And I wish you would pray with me this morning. Father, we look to you again, thankful for those that have made the effort to be here and those that are watching. Uh, we're grateful that we can do our best. Our heart's desire, Father, is not to um, defend a position or a point of view, but rather, dear God, that we would be able to let you speak to us so we pray for that, and that the hearer would have ears ready to hear, and that ultimately we would be ready to do what we hear. Even this morning, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. All right, okay. Mm -hmm. Amen. I don't know how many people were in this village, but there was a number, maybe a couple hundred, I don't know. And um, they heard that Jesus was out of the house and that he was down by the seaside. And I'd like you to imagine that you heard that Jesus was down by the seaside. Now, 
we know that for us, Jesus is God. That's how we see Jesus. He has the authority of God. He is the word of God. He causes things to be created. All the scripture, the things it says about Jesus, that, that, that Jesus has the power here to save us and that his message ultimately will either accept us or condemn us one day. And so Jesus is a very powerful figure for the Christian, obviously. He's, he's the central figure, really, for the Christian. And so I'd like you to imagine that you were down by the seaside back here, but also I'd like you to bring your 21st century down by the seaside back here. If you heard that Jesus was going to be teaching down by the American River this afternoon at, at uh, 12 o'clock. <clears throat> so I would have to finish uh, by at least quarter till. Because if I'm going long, you'd be walking out the door because he's more important than I am. And if he's starting at 12 o'clock, you don't want to miss anything. And most of us would say, if Jesus was going to be speaking down by the river at 12 o'clock, we would want to go down and hear what he has to say. And let's say he has a regularly scheduled meeting down by the river at 12 o'clock every Sunday. And he speaks on whatever he speaks on. Would there be a day when you would say, well, I've been down there for the last however many times, and I've gotten a good good measure of what he's taught. And um, today, well, today I have other things to do. Now, most of us, I think, would say, oh, brother, I hope I would never say that. But you know, in practice, Jesus is probably not going to be down by the river today at 12 o'clock in a physical way. And so we have to deal with the notion of how important is what Jesus is teaching every day. And are we, um, are we dedicating ourselves to going down by the seaside when he has something to say? Or are we allowing other things to creep in and say, well, he's a good teacher. I love what he has to say. His message is critical to me, but I've got things to do today. All right, let's just think about it. So there were different groups of people that heard this call that he was down by the seaside. Maybe sometimes we might say, I have some things to do around the house, or I, 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 I've dedicated some time this afternoon to exercise, or I, I, I have this thing at home that's been broken for a while and I need to fix it or I've got a project I want to tinker on, that kind of thing. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to be down by the seaside, and I'm going to be speaking, and what I have to say is going to be important. And I'm not suggesting that we wouldn't fix the washing machine if it's broken and that kind of thing, but it's the idea that when we know that God is down by the seaside, is our heart compelled to be there because he's there. And not just come to church. Don't get that, don't, don't, don't make that direct equation, although that's important to us. But in a spiritual way, in an emotional way, 
Jesus is still speaking down by the seaside. And do we have that love for what he's saying? To be want to be there with him. And this is even more than coming to church. Because if we presume that all this is about is being present where the gospel is preached, we're missing it 100%. This is probably, the Bible does say, by the foolishness of preaching, people still get, get saved. The Bible does say that. So it's not incidental. But it, it really, for, for some of us, is not the most important thing that we're going to be doing this week. Because at some point, Jesus is going to be speaking down by the seaside. And the question is, is your heart compelled to be where he is? Amen. We're going to comment on, on different variations of this idea and how important it is. You overhear a neighbor, for example, saying that this important person is going to be at a certain place and they're going to be speaking and people are going to be gathering to hear what he has to say. Sometimes we would say, oh yeah, I want to be there. Or would you say, I'll go next time. He's been down there lately and I've heard him a couple of times and it's been good. <clears throat> I think about these people in Capernaum when they heard that Jesus was down by the seaside speaking. I wonder how many stayed in the town because it does say Great multitudes were gathered together unto him, but I, 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 I kind of think that not everyone was there. Some people, and if it wasn't in this moment, later, when the church is forming and, and congregations are forming and, and the gospel is being preached and people are hearing it for the first time, in Ephesus, for example, not everyone in Ephesus went to hear Paul preach. Many that were merchants are in the marketplace and they continued with their commerce and their business and, and they may have heard some of it or may have never heard some of it. And the same can happen today. We can be needful of being where Jesus is because he's speaking, but we've got other things to do. So one possibility is the crowd that heard this message, that's what they said. Yeah, I've heard him lately, but I've got something else to do. I'll be down later. You go ahead. That's one possibility. Another possibility is somebody says, no, I'm not interested. You know, I've heard tell of what they're talking about. And um, the world that I believe in is the world that I can see, the world I can touch, the world I can feel, the world I can taste. That's what I believe in. This idea of God or whatever you go to church about, I don't, I don't believe that. That might be another person in the village. Or the third person would be the one that would say, oh, last I heard he was in Nazareth. He's back down in Galilee. Yes, I'm, I'll be there. I'll be there. That would be the third person. Okay, so three possible answers from the crowd that heard this message that he was going to be down by the seaside. Now, the rest of the chapter talks about what you would have heard if you had gone down to the seaside. And we'll make reference especially to the first parable. It's in verse 3, and it goes down to verse 23, and it's the parable of the sower. And we know what Jesus taught there was that there were different types of ground, stony ground, thorny ground, good ground, and so forth. And the seed that was sown was the seed of truth. 
and he was perhaps talking about some of the very people in the village. Some were stony ground, some were full of cares, and some were good ground. And he's trying to reach them. Which ground are you? And if we'd gone down to the seaside, we would have heard a message that would have identified us and placed us either in relationship with God or not. And it would have been of benefit to us. So that's one parable that we would have heard. In verse 24 to verse 30 is the parable of the tares. And he talks about, again, a seed is sown and a wheat is sown in a field. But tares spring up, or weeds. And then someone says, well, should we pull the weeds out? And he says, no, let everything grow up together and it will be harvested and the good will be gleaned from the chaff and the good will be gleaned from the, the weed at that time. And that's a parable of life that we get a chance to grow up as wheat, which can be harvested for the bread of life. Or we get a chance to grow up as a weed and have weedy ideas that are good for nothing. And the same is true today. All of us here this morning, we have a chance to either grow up as wheat that's tasty for God's use, or we can grow up as a weed and have weedy ideas. I don't know. Maybe, maybe people do eat weeds in some places, what we call weeds, right? I think some people put dandelions on salad. Is that right? I don't know. But you know, how many of us really enjoy a good bowl of thistles? You know? Or, or crabgrass, just, just a good, good mouthful of crabgrass, you know? And it's not tasty, it's just, we know that. And God says, you have a choice. You can continue living like a thistle or crabgrass. What, what do they call those little weeds? They have little burrs on them and you walk through the field and they get on your socks? Foxtails? Yeah, those names. And they, they, they get on the dog's legs and they're not good for them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there must be a use for that. I guess it propagates the weed, right? Because wherever it goes, I guess it can plant again and make another one of those things. But it's, we don't think they're very useful. And you know, most of us, I think, would agree there was a time in our life where we were like those little foxtails. Annoying sometimes, but dangerous other times. Those things they burrow into animals' skin sometimes. They fester and cause infection. I mean, I, I, I'm certain there have been times in our lives where we were like those thistles and, and foxtails. We had a foxtail nature. I'm just thinking in my own self right now of my foxtail nature before the Lord dealt with me. A weedy nature. And God allowed me to grow up with my weedy nature until I met some wheat. And then I discovered that I was a weed among wheat. And fortunately for us, God is still 
changing us from weeds to wheat. The harvest hasn't come yet, and so if you're a weed this morning, you can be a wheat, but God has to change you. And we have to be willing to let God change us. Yeah. We go to school or we go to work or whatever, and ultimately, mark it down. Even if you're a, a student at school and you're old enough to understand what I'm saying to you this morning, this week, if you go to school and you find yourself being a weed, we have some school teachers here. And I won't call on them, but I'm pretty sure they're familiar with weedy natures in the classroom instead of wheaty natures in the classroom. And if you're a student this morning and you go to school this week and you find yourself being unpleasant or acting in ways that you know God is not pleased with, God can change you. God can change you but you have to be willing to be changed. That's why I say, when Jesus is talking down by the seaside, are you, are you willing to go down and hear what he has to say? You would have heard the parable on the tares in the 31st verse and the 32nd verse of this chapter is the parable of the mustard seed. And he would have said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed. It's very small. It's the least of all seeds, but when it is grown among the herbs, it becomes a tree, and the birds in the air, they lodge in the branches and so forth, and it becomes useful. You would have heard that parable if you'd have gone down by the seaside, and you could have decided, I wonder if I'm in that. I wonder if he's telling people there's various ways to find yourself in the kingdom of heaven. Are you there? Are you in the kingdom? In the 33rd verse, he said, Another parable, it's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in the three measures of meal until the whole was leavened. Talking about <clears throat> how the, the gospel seed is designed to fill the loaf. Amen. The gospel seed is designed to fill the whole earth. And asking us, are we part of the gospel seed? Are we, do we have that desire to fill the whole earth with the gospel? First of all, do you have a desire that the gospel would fill your whole earth? We say yes, but are we actually living that during the week? Amen. Well, you heard that parable. And then the last one, there were further parables in the 44th verse down to the end of the chapter about the kingdom. And all of this we would have heard but there were people in the village of Nazareth, which is about an hour away, by car anyway, they would have heard something also in the 53rd verse. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from Galilee. And when he was come to his own country, which was the hill country in Nazareth, he taught them in their synagogue inasmuch that they were astonished and said, whence hath this man his wisdom? And whose mighty works? In other words, he's a carpenter's son. Isn't his mother Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? We know the family. Aren't they all with us? 
And, 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 and how does he have the right to say these things? He's a carpenter's son. And they were offended in him. They were offended because he was teaching them truth and asking them, and, and the truth was judging them. And they were being found wanting. And they were offended because this carpenter's son who had grown up among them was now teaching as their master. And so he was becoming, they were becoming offended. And a prophet is not, and Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor save in his own country and in his own house. And he could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. And that's the other message this morning. The, the power of unbelief, the effect of unbelief in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in our life, if there's unbelief in our life, that can fester like one of those little thorns and leave us powerless. Unbelief has power, but grace has more power. Unbelief has power, but grace has more power. The man said, Jesus said, do you believe? Yea, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And Jesus healed the man's son. So grace has more power than unbelief. But we need to be willing to submit our unbelief or our lack of belief or our doubts to the grace of God so that it can overwhelm our unbelief. Jesus is teaching down by the seaside. Who wants to go? Two kinds of people in that village. One person said, eh, later. And another one said, nope, not interested. Don't believe in prophecy. I believe in what I can feel or see or hear. And uh, the rest of it, I'll just leave to those zealots down at church, down by the seaside. Two answers. The first one is an example of indifference in belief. Indifference in belief is the church in Laodicea. I am rich. I'm increased in goods. I've got this. No thanks. That spirit is strong today. Now, it's strong in the world, but it also makes its way even among where God's people sit. And it can make a person indifferent not that they would say, no, I'm not interested, but they would say, no, I got this, I'll get it later, or next week, maybe I'll go. That kind of attitude. And I hope you understand, we're not talking about church attendance. We're talking about an attitude of a daily presence or relationship of worship with God. That, that kind of indifference. Indifference in belief. Luke chapter 10. There's an example of, of indifference. And indifference goes two ways. In verse 41, Jesus was in the house with Mary and Martha. <clears throat> and um, this is the house where they were sisters of Lazarus who had died and resurrected. Verse uh, 41, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. 
Now, another word to say, verse 41, <clears throat> thou art careful, you're consumed in cares. You're consumed with cares. Not that you're not negligent per se, but you're consumed with cares and troubled about many things. We can profess to love God and we can have begun well, but if we get to the place like Martha, we are, we are consumed with many cares and troubled about many things. It's possible this can lead to spiritual indifference. There's two ways this can go with the case of Martha. <clears throat> she might have been obsessive about things or compulsive about things. Jesus doesn't say she's a sinner. But listen, her life is dominated by her life, not by God at this point. You follow what I'm saying? He said, you're troubled about many things. I call that life. Mary's life was dominated by her life. And even though in her heart she may have wanted a, a true relationship with the master, her heart is troubled about many things. The many things is life. We can get to the place where we're troubled about many things. And in the meantime, Jesus is down by the seaside teaching. And we need to be there. But our heart's not there. Our mind isn't there. Our mind is at work or at school or our mind is about the problem or our mind is uh, 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 about the disagreement. Right? And that's how life begins to dominate life. But the life that God has given us, he intends that it is dominated by him. To dominate comes from the Latin word dominus. Dominus comes from the word God. If you think of it like that, to dominate, ultimately, there is, it's this idea that there is no power that can intervene to influence that, that behavior or that person. Because if we are under the domination of something, that means that we, we cannot escape it if we're under the domination of something. That's why I say, God help us that we would allow him to dominate us to dominate our thinking, to dominate our life. Not that we allow our life to dominate our life. Mary was indifferent. Now, she had the hope that she could end up where Mary was. Martha was indifferent, rather, in this session, in, in, what, in what way we're presenting it here. Martha's in the kitchen. She's not down by the seaside. There's a tug of war going on in her spirit. I'm calling that indifference. <clears throat> but Martha has a hope. She can get to where Jesus is. She can get to where Martha is. But here's the other possibility. At some point, Martha becomes so discouraged because her life is dominated by her life. She becomes so discouraged that she stops going down to the seaside to listen to the master. She stays in the kitchen. And then what she does is she begins to develop 
other strategies to cope and to live and to get through the day and to get through life, and they don't involve God. She becomes the Martha. She ultimately, if she goes that way, she becomes her own dominator, her own master. I have seen this in people. Life begins to dominate their life. Stuff, things. They cease to allow God to dominate those things. I've seen this. And after a while, you don't see them so much. You don't see them so much. What's wrong, brother? What's wrong, sister? Oh, brother, I'm busy about many things. I'm careful about many things. I've, I've got many things. I've got a many, I have a many things life, brother. You don't know my life. I have a many things life. As if they're the only one that has a many things life. Brother, I've got a many things life. I can't count the things that I have to deal with in life. And it's troubling to me, causing me concern. And after a while, I don't see brother. I don't see sister. What happened to brother so-and-so? What happened to sister so-and-so? Their life has dominated their life. And then it could go any number of ways. They could get bitter. They could find fault. They could, it all began with a Martha in the kitchen, in this case. It all began that way. Troubled by many things. Ended up bitter, ended up finding fault, ended up, ended up uh, causing division, ended up, you know, gathering cliques and, 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 and didn't have to happen that way. In the meantime, Mary was down at the seaside at the master's feet. This is one thing that happened when the call comes out to go down to the seaside. What do we do with that call? It wasn't inevitable, and I hope it, it didn't become so, that Martha ended up like that. So consumed with her own life, she couldn't find the Savior. I, there's no evidence of that, and I hope it wasn't so. But it can get that way if we let life consume life. The other possibility is a person begins to think that they are rich and in need of nothing. They may have started out in the master's, within his voice, but they became consumed with life. And they came to the, and, and they were the kind of person that said, I will solve my own problems. I'm not going to let life take me down. But we don't let God dominate us. And at that point, a person can end up like Laodicea and say, I'm rich and, and increased in goods. And then when the call comes out, Jesus is down at the seaside, that person says, no, I got it. I'm good. As a matter of fact, what also happens is today people are backsliding into religion. No, I, I found, I, I, I found a, a modern way. I've, I've found a, a more intelligent way to know Jesus. I catch him online sometimes. I, I catch him online. Some people can't go to where the saints gather, but other people can. And, 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 and some person might say, you know, I, 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 I could go 
to where the saints are gathered, but I, I, I pick them up while I'm doing, I'm, I'm preparing supper, you know, because I'm rich and increased with goods. And that happens. The indifference of unbelief and what can happen from it. And so one of the warnings today is don't let us become indifferent to belief. Let us make belief paramount that it dominates what we believe, that God dominates what we believe, and not become indifferent. Amen? Amen. Indifference, in the way I'm describing it with Martha, indifference still allows for faith to be in the room. Jesus is in the next room. Martha might say, the master is with Mary, it's just that Mary's not cleaning the dishes. I'm, in, I, I'm, I'm careful about many things, in, troubled about. Faith is still in the dwelling, but it's in another room. It's not present. Indifference in belief leaves faith in the room, but it doesn't value it. If Martha is becoming indifferent, and I know we're picking on Martha. I know that. I'm just using Martha as a type. If, if Martha, if, if, the, if, if one becomes indifferent to belief and doesn't truly value it, belief can hang around. It can be in the next room over, belief or faith. And one will then say, oh, yes, I believe in God. Oh, I believe in God. But it allows me to live any old way because faith is in the back room. I don't need to touch it every day. <clears throat> Do we believe that there is great value in reading this every day? Yeah, we do. Now, someone says, well, brother, to me, it's a chore. I really have a hard time slogging through this. Sometimes it feels that way. But isn't your heart's desire, I want to read God's word? There's something in here that I connect with. My faith is not only in the, in the dwelling, my faith is, is, is wanting to dominate my spirit. I'm wanting God to dominate my spirit. And so this becomes important. Now, if this becomes a chore, what will happen is you'll take this and put it on the shelf and it will collect dust, and the only time you'll open it is when you come to church. That's not enough time. If the only time we read this is when we come to church, it's not enough. Not enough. Jesus is down by the seaside. Are we going to go down and listen when he's speaking? Because otherwise we become indifferent. Then we'll, we'll go once in a while, maybe every Sunday. We'll go once in a while. When the heart is changed... The heart wants to be with the master. There's just a natural longing for the heart to be with the master. But the indifference of belief, it gets in the way. It doesn't value faith. It's like the parable of the sower. It was good for a while, <clears throat> that thorny ground, but later um, choked by the cares of life. And if Martha's not careful, she could go that way. She could go that way. I've known people. They, they say, I'll be there. 
And after a while, life starts to dominate life and you don't see them. And you know what? Invariably what happens is we say, well, I'm never going back to the foolishness that I came from. But if we say, I'm indifferent now to the gospel, or today I'll tell you what's very popular, um, the gospel is simply another type of truth, that there's different paths of truth in life. And there are religions that have grown up with this idea. We just, it's a smorgasbord of truth, and they all have truth in you. That's not the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not say there's a smorgasbord of truth and you pick the one that, that you feel that fits for you. He said, I, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. Jesus said. Jesus is jealous over the truth. I am the truth. But today, there's an indifference to the gospel in truth, and it becomes part of a smorgasbord. You pick whatever you want. But what happens is we also have an adversary. There is a spirit of evil in the world. And it is not, and it's active. It's active in the hearts of men. And it's not inclined to let you pick and choose truth and not be affected by the evil. And so what happens is people come to this idea that I can, I can sort of develop my own concept of truth and I'll be able to avoid the evil because I'm quite clever, by the way, and I have more experience in dealing with Satan than he does with me. And because I'm quite clever, then I can, I can sort of pick my own truth and not be affected by the evil. But what happens is, if we have heard the truth and we become indifferent to it, we become the worse for it. He said, ultimately, if our house was cleansed and we allow the enemy to occupy it, he brings seven spirits more, more deadly than the ones that was thrown out in the first place. Because as we say, you can't control sin, sin will control you. Even in Genesis it said, sin lieth at the door, and its desire is to have you. People don't fully comprehend, and I, I meet people that I have known, that have heard this message, and both of us grew up under the same message, and both of us were saved by the same God. And today, Different one and different one are off and believing a lie that is beyond belief, beyond common sense. It is a supernatural belief that is beyond common sense. And you sit and listen and you think, what happened when a person is indifferent to truth? The danger is that we would let life dominate us and God is meaningless. And what people do, they make God in their own image rather than letting God make us in his image. And we're the worst for it. This morning, we need to answer the question, Jesus is down at the seaside, and are we going to run to be there? Okay.
Then there's the person in the village that says, not indifferent, but no, I got this. Let the zealots go down. That's strong in the world today. In Psalms 14 and verse 1, there's different psalms that say this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in their heart, there is no God. They were in the village. The call came out that Jesus is down by the seaside, and they said, there's no God. There may be a man down there talking, but he's not God. How do you conclude that? What, what evidence do you have to support that conclusion? I, I have friends like this. They're completely secular. And they, they believe that their existence is over when they die. And so this is all there is. This moment that you've chosen to be in church, it's part of the existence that you have believed will end when you die. Spent this much time, and it may have helped you a little bit, but at the end of all this, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. I don't see how people believe in legacy when they don't believe in God. Legacy means what you leave behind. What do we really have to leave behind if we don't have any faith at all? We can leave behind memories, we can leave behind teaching or instruction, but really, anything of value comes from heaven. And it's necessary to overwhelm and to dominate what's here on earth. Amen. Perhaps you know people like this. They, they'd be in the village and the call came out, Jesus is down teaching, no, I don't need to go. And I hear this. And I've heard people, they've told me, we don't believe in God, and so, <clears throat> you know, we don't, nothing that we do in life is, is informed by God. We, we just don't believe, we just don't believe God exists. It's only this, only now. And I have, I have two problems with that. One is, what's the hope that we leave for our children when that is the idea that we have? What's the hope? And the second problem that I have with that, if the hope is that somehow the world will help them and make their life better, if that is the hope that people are leaning on, why are they saying our hope is worse? I'm supposed to place my hope in the world around me today and not in the eternal God? Because you say there's no such thing as an eternal God, but yet you say I'm to place my hope in the world around me. And the world around me that I read about every day is a sad place. There is beauty in the world around me. There are good people in the world around us. But talk about throwing the dice and probabilities placing our hope in the world around us more so than the hope of heaven. So that's the problem I have with this secular idea that says, no, I'm staying in the village. It's, it's, it's okay. It, it has no hope. No hope. Do you know that the person who stays in the village and says, I'm not going down to the seaside, do you know that they also believe? They also believe. 
So the person that says there is no God isn't necessarily saying, I don't have belief. They simply choose not to believe in the divine, but they believe in themselves, or they believe in a neighbor, or they believe in the book in the self-help section at the bookstore, or they believe in YouTube, or they believe in Facebook. I, I, I'm baffled. I'm supposed to place my hope in YouTube or Facebook because there's clever people on YouTube and Facebook and they have the truth or there's a sort of hidden truth that only certain people have. And if you had the website or you had the YouTube channel, you could find it too and there's a small group of them and they're very clever. They know the truth. There was a group of people once and they were called Gnostics. This is where things come around that go around. And the Gnostics said the same thing. They said, we know the truth, and it's secret, and it's not well known by everyone, but we've got it. It's a secret wisdom, and our society knows it, and so you need to be with us. And that was condemned as heresy by the early church. And you can read it in the book of Jude, and you can read it. On, and so why would a Christian say, I'm placing my hope in a secret truth that, that few others have? The gospel is published. It's well known. It's out in the open. The Bible is the most published book that's ever been published. The word of God is available to everyone. God's desire is not that this is some secret idea held in a secret room or ultimately only available on certain parts of YouTube or certain parts of social media. I don't have a problem with social media. I have a problem with what people are saying is these little secret dens that, that only some can know about. I have a real problem with that. Don't place your hope there. Don't place your hope there. God help us. Unbelievers really do believe. They believe in something. So we all have a choice. We can choose to believe in the God that made everything. I choose to believe in the God that made this body. There are things about this body that modern science still doesn't understand. We don't know how to make an artificial liver yet, to my knowledge. You cannot survive without a liver. Miraculous. We don't really understand the human brain and everything that's going on there. Just everything, think about it. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I choose to believe in the God that made this. I choose not to believe that this is a random process of evolution where somehow things just by process of, of elimination of, 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 of the fittest, that somehow we ended up like this. That defies all sorts of reason. And I understand there are folks that would disagree. I understand that. I choose to place my hope in the one who lives forever. We all can place our hope anywhere we want.
the other thing that happens, when you place your hope in this hope, things happen. It's not a blind hope. It's not a leap of faith where you never land on the other side. This hope produces things in people's lives. Has anybody here ever been affected by this hope? Has your life changed? Were some of you really, really messed up before God saved you? Have you been kept by this hope? Are you all brainwashed? You say, I'm, I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I get that. But, but are you all brainwashed because just because I say these things, you respond, yes? Or is this your experience? Are you living like this? So we have a cloud of witnesses that are saying, no, brother, what I believe has resulted in experience. It's true. A theory is a good theory if it accurately predicts what you see, reality. It's a bad theory if it doesn't. I have a theory. The theory is, at any moment, these lights are going to randomly flicker on and off just because I say so. Well, they may flicker on and off, but not just because I say so. Well, then, you would, you would sit here day after day and look at these lights with the switch on, and you would say, that's a bad theory, because my observation does not agree with your theory. And I would say, it defies logic, and it defies my observation, your theory. Therefore, your theory is false. Now, if we have a theory that I believe God can change us, from the miserable creature that we used to be into something more of his liking. That's my theory. Okay? So I think I'll sit with myself day after day, year after year, and I'll compare the person that I am now to that miserable wretch that I used to be. And I will conclude that even if I were brainwashed, I couldn't keep doing this by myself year after year. Then what I'll do is I'll look at all my brothers and sisters and I'll look at their lives and I'll see how the Lord is keeping them and I will conclude that this theory is also true. All of us can't be, how did Lincoln say it? You can fool some of the people some of the time and all the people some of the time but you can't fool all the people all the time, something like that. There's a cloud of witnesses, and people have written about this. Those folks are going down to the seaside to hear Jesus talk. And the last group of people are those that <clears throat> hear the call that Jesus is teaching down by the seaside. And they finish their activities and all the things that have been keeping them in the kitchen in time to go down and hear the master speak. Every time he's down by the seaside, they've already made a plan to end what they're doing and to make that more important so they can be down by the seaside where he is because we don't want to miss whatever Jesus has to say to us. 
and it might be a parable on the tares or a parable on the ground or whatever it is. There'll be something there that we can use to help us. Do you know that we can be indifferent and we can know that we should be down by the seaside, but we're at home with our cares and our troubles? And in the meantime, Mary is in the other room at the feet of Jesus, and it's sol she's, he's solving her problem. It's our, it's our own deal that we, we, we don't go down by the seaside. I, I was, I'm going to tell you this story about a person that I believe is a better example of the one that goes down every time the master speaks. Um, I know a couple in eastern Cuba, and they've been here. And the pastor <clears throat> has been suffering from a broken leg, I think, for several months, uh, if I have it right. And I may not. It could be a hip problem. But this uh, uh, vehicle, I think, fell on him. And it's been causing a lot of pain. Well, it got to the place where he just has to go down to the hospital, and that's where he is this morning. And they've been doing tests on him to try and figure out what's wrong. His wife, um, she comes up with an ailment which is probably very serious, involving blood. And she has to go down to the hospital also so that they can run tests to find out what's wrong with her. And this past week, both of them have been in the hospital. And as you can imagine, in that place where there's not many resources, days go by, and they just sit there. And there might be only one x-ray machine in the hospital, and it might have been put there in 1955. And the doctors are actually very good at working with nothing. And well, they have to do these imaging tests to try and figure out what's going wrong. <clears throat> Even if they figure out what's going wrong, there's probably not enough medication for antibiotics or things that we take for granted. It could be a very simple ailment that they're trying to figure out, or whatever his condition is, maybe surgery would fix it. There's not sufficient medication. And I wish I could play you their report that I got on my phone so you could hear it. Um, but I'd like to describe to you a couple of the messages <clears throat> the tone of their voice is calm, almost as if you wouldn't know that they're in these dire circumstances. Hello, brother. I hope you're well. I hope your wife is well. We send our greetings to you and your congregation. The Lord is good. His mercies are boundless, and so forth and so on. They're still running some tests, and then the brother will say, and I've been in some pretty significant pain, but the Lord has the Lord has grace. I've been. In, I'm thinking, are you real? You know how it is when you're not feeling well. I, 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 I'm just about over a, a cold that I've had. And yes, I tested for COVID five times, and each time it's still negative. <clears throat> but you know, I don't like to be sick. I'm not a good patient. I'm a pretty difficult patient because I don't like to be sick. 
had a little cold, right? Hello, brother. My, my hip, my leg, I'm in pain, but... And then she would say, but we know our Savior suffered much more. Our Savior went through much more than we're going through. So we can do this. So pray for us because, and he says, we don't know what's going to come out of this, but we trust God. He's going to make it work out. And I'm listening to this. I'm going, I am so far. I'm so far from the grace that they're, they're infused with, they're living with. It's, it's a living grace. And, 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 and the hospital they're in, there's little hope, actually, that the hospital can cure them or help them. They just don't have the resources, and they know it. And I want to get on a plane and pack my bags with antibiotics and a stethoscope and whatever, and I'm not a doctor, and, I, and I'd like to go there and help them because I realize you're, you're not going to get a lot of help. You might still suffer from this. Someday you might die from something like this because of the inadequate health care that you're in. But every day when Jesus is down by the seaside, they go down to hear the master. We, we can be like that. We, can, we should take courage. We can be like that. But we live in this Laodicean world where we have it too easy sometimes. But we can be like that. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, which group am I in that when they said that the master is down by the seaside teaching, we would like to say, I'd be there. But is there a little bit of carelessness going on in our life? All right, <clears throat> we'll leave that with you to think about. Down by the seaside. Amen. <laughs>